Thank you for joining us today at Watkinsville. And this is Pastor Carlos Sibley, pastor here. And I want to take just a moment to thank you for listening to the messages. I hope they're helpful. I hope they're encouraging. I want to tell you also about something new that we're doing as a church, and that is a monthly podcast. We're calling that It's All About Life. It's an attempt for us to say more about what's going on in the life of our church. I hope that you find it helpful to connect you more to the life of Watkinsville. I also want you to know that the sermons that you've been listening to at this location will move to that channel, and you can search that by looking up It's All About Life. Uh, the podcast will be there each month as well as the sermons each week from our services that take place on our church property. So thank you for being a part of what God's doing here, and I hope this continues to be helpful for you in the weeks ahead. Something fresh and powerful is happening among us. As we pray through these one another statements of Scripture, if you're in on it, the testimony is repeating itself from life to life to life. God is moving. God is working. God is changing us. God is encouraging us. God's doing a fresh work among us. If for some reason, somehow, some way, the prayers of these 21 days have missed you, uh, we're, we've arrived at day 14, day 15. God could do in one prayer, one morning, uh, more than he's done in the last 14 days, so it's not too late. And I, I want to exhort you. To not let the simplicity of these one another statements um, lull you into thinking that these days are not critical and important. What stands between us and revival is what stands between us and one another. I believe that with my, all my heart. God, would you send revival? God personally my life, in our church, in our nation, in our world, would you revive us? Would you let there be fresh power? Would you let there be a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit? And again and again, I hear, see in Scripture, God saying, one another, one another, one another. We know God is good. We know that God loves us. We know that you sit in this room today as church people at an 8.30 service. You come today knowing that we desperately need God's forgiveness. We are incredibly grateful for God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. It makes it possible for us to know him, love him, and serve him. Why might we be cold spiritually? Why might we be dry spiritually? Why might we not see God working? And I want to just offer this, that what stands between us and revival is what stands between us and one another. And these 
Days are an opportunity for us to just walk through Scripture in prayer and to see what it means to love one another, to be kind to one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another and admonish one another. Today we come to this next one another statement and it is to do good to one another. We'll take about seven more of these on through Saturday. We're meeting at 6.15 to pray together. That's a powerful time. It's not entertainment. There's, there's, there's just not a lot of uh, flash to it. We're fighting to stay warm and stay awake. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's not an easy hour for most. A few rare birds in the crowd. But... Um, you, you, it, it, and it's, it's not a requirement. You're not going to have a different seat in heaven because you're here at 6.15 in the mornings. But it's powerful for us to do that together. It's opportunities over these next few days to do that. If you can't get here, pray where you are. Set an alarm or put a marker. Write a note somewhere. It reminds you at 6.15 corporately together to pray through these one another's. Tomorrow, I believe, is uh, exhort one another soon it'll be confess your sins to one another and uh, clothe yourselves with humility with one another those are the one another statements that are are coming God wants to do a fresh work in our hearts and lives and how we relate to one another and how we show up in the world in relationship to others our relationship with God through Jesus Christ when it's real, is always fleshed out in our relationships with other people. And, and that's the people closest to us. It's the people that we call neighbors. It's the people that we call family. It's the people that we call friends. It's the people that we do business with. It's the people that we do school with. and It's the people that we do life with. We learn today from this one another statement that it's... That it's it's everybody. That Jesus Christ in our heart affects our relationship with every person. Long before uh, cell phones and video games captured kids' attention, you had to find something to do. Kids had to find something to do. And if you live 30 minutes from the closest um, traffic light or a grocery store you get pretty creative and one of the things that me and some buddies loved to do was to find a, a stream that was just trickling just maybe it had been a rain a week or two ago and the and the ditch was running the stream was running and and what we love to do is to find that that trickling stream or that that ditch that had some water running in it and just collect debris We'd collect broken sticks and rocks and, and limbs and leaves and just pile it all in right in the middle of that trickling stream. And, and we would dam up that water that was running in that ditch. It was an exciting life in, in Mount Hope, Alabama. And, and, it, just, and it, just, it felt so powerful to just take that running water and, and just stop it and pool it up 
and it just create a, a pond in that ditch and we'd just stand back and we would look at our creativity. We'd look at our ability to dam up that water and create that pool. And you know it didn't end there because you'd take the remaining rocks and sticks and you'd rear back and with giggling and laughing with all your might, you'd just start bursting up that dam and just exploding that dam and hitting that little wall of that dam you'd made and that water in that pool would release and it would just rush down that ditch or that stream with, with a lot of power. It was pretty amazing, pretty fun. That's the vision I keep getting in my mind and my heart of these one another statements in the life of our church. That's the vision that I have when we think about uh, doing good to one another. We sit in this room and we can put our voices to a song of God is so good and we have tangible evidence in our lives of God's goodness to us. We came from warm homes and eventually got in warm cars and we have a nice place to worship and, and, and those are just some visible things. We go on and on about the spiritual blessings we have, the physical blessings that we have, the blessings that we believe are headed our way and what can happen in our life is, as, as, as Christians in Watkinsville is we can take all of that goodness and those blessings and dam it up in here in a church building, dam it up in a, a, a pool of people. And, I, and I, I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God wants to burst that up. Can you imagine a, by the time this day's over, 2,000 people being unleashed onto this community to do good to one another. Imagine that. God's goodness in our lives, in our hearts, doesn't get stopped with us. We don't become a reservoir of goodness. We don't become a pond of goodness. We become a mighty stream, a mighty river of God's goodness to people all around us. What happens in that world? What happens in that community when the goodness of God flows through us? And that old hymn from ages gone by, God really makes us a channel of blessing. A channel of blessing. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I love the, the reference here, 515. To me, I bet that's the hour of the day that we find it the hardest to be good to others. And 5.15, put me in downtown Watkinsville at 5.15, I'm like, I feel like I'm in Marietta. You know, it's like, what happened to our community? How's it backed up all the way through our town? I got to get where I'm going. Oh, there's traffic in Watkinsville, Georgia. You know. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 what a verse. I really didn't see us back in Thessalonians so soon. Uh, you're here in the fall. We, my Bible already just falls open to Thessalonians. We spent all those weeks there, and, but we're back and want to spend a few minutes just in this single verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone 
What a verse. See, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This morning I want to share with you five elements of doing good to one another. Uh, these five elements describe uh, for us what it what it looks like from this verse to live and experience uh, doing good to others. When I use the word good, it's, it's not a real difficult definition, but don't miss it. Don't let the uh, familiarity of the word good be, uh, don't, don't miss what it means. That when we talk about doing good, we're talking about simply being helpful. We're talking about uh, providing something that betters a situation. It's a, it's a contrast between helping and hurting. And when we're doing good to one another, we're helping. We're, we're, we're helping someone. We're, we're doing good. We're showing favor. We're giving blessing. We're doing something. It's not just morally being good among people. It is it is active in that we, uh, we, we do something. We, we put feet to pavement. We put hands to work. We put minds to thought. Uh, we do good. Let me give you these five elements, and they're taken right here from verse 15. Number one, there is a corporate element to doing good. That's number one. There is a corporate element to doing good good these this single verse is in the context of some concluding verses the apostle paul to the church at thessalonica and verse 12 says we ask you brothers and he speaks about how we relate to leaders in our church and then he he, he works on through this this instruction to the brothers and sisters to the brethren of the church and and he talks about how to relate to others. He, he says in verse 14, we urge you, plural, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And then verse 15, there's a, there's a, it's not a stray word, it's not an extra word. Verse 15 begins with, see that. See that. And it, is, it is, speaks to us about the corporate nature of what he's about to say. He's saying there is responsibility among the brethren to make sure something happens. We're to hold one another accountable. We're to group our efforts together. And he's saying together as a group, as a body, as believers, corporately see that. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. He said, make sure this doesn't happen among you. When we talk about uh, doing good, picture the whole family of God doing good. Imagine uh, a brother and sister in Christ saying to someone in their small group or someone in their in their home hey we need to do good in that situation we need to come together and help we need to 
figure out a way to give blessing, to show blessing here. When you walk out into this commons area and you go to, to my right, you'll come to a wall that has uh, painted on the wall, do good. That phrase, do good, that's painted there on the wall comes directly from this verse. First uh, Thessalonians 5.15, do good. Do good to one another. Over the last several months, you've seen some uh, collection Sundays come along. You've seen a big box out here in the commons where people have brought canned food or people have uh, brought clothes. We gathered things. There will be events coming as soon as next Sunday where it's a chance for us corporately as a church to come together and do good toward others. It's a corporate effort. It's something that churches do together. John mentioned earlier, reset. I love I love something that happens with Reset. It's been happening for a few years with that, and we, we do that with Prince Avenue. We do it with another church. We're trying to help college students reset their life at the beginning of the year. When I saw yesterday the social media post for Reset, it was put there by Prince Avenue Baptist Church, and I looked at the picture that was on their social media, and I looked a little bit closer. It caught my attention, and it was a group of college students and I knew every one of those college students and I, I thought well I, I, I mean those guys were at Watkinsville last Sunday what are they doing at Prince and I, and I was like well I know her and him and them are uh, they're using our people on their social media and I looked a little closer and realized Reset Weekend is something that we do with Watkinsville First Baptist and their college students. And they were just showing the corporate nature of doing life together, of doing good together. In a few days, Josh Smith, the pastor at Prince Avenue, and Jason Britt, the pastor at Bethlehem, will sit down together over lunch. And the three of us, we're, we're talking about how we as a group of churches could help our community address the counseling needs that our community has is there some way that we could come together as three churches in our community and and make it where people don't have to wait six weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks to see a Christian counselor how could we do good together in our community I, I say those things for us to to be thinking about the corporate nature of doing good in a few weeks in March I think it's uh, Saturday March the 23rd here on this property we will say to our community to single moms in our community bring your car to this property and we're going to change your oil and you just go inside and have breakfast and a cup of coffee and a group of people will be in the parking lot and going to change your oil and get it ready for you to go just a just a way to say to a community hey we want to help uh, we want to be a blessing to you. We want to do good. There's a corporate nature to doing good. Secondly, there is a conflicting element to doing good. There is a conflicting element to doing good. In literature, you know that in good literature, in excellent literature, that somewhere in that uh, document somewhere in that paper somewhere in that writing you find the conflict 
you find the tension. What is it that makes the twist? What is it that makes this hard? What is it that pricks your, your emotions and puts you in a quandary? And with doing good, there is a conflict. There's a conflicting element of doing good. It's right here in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The conflicting element to doing good is that doing good to everyone is not natural. What is natural for us is to do to others how they have done to us. That's the conflicting nature of doing good. That's the difference that Jesus makes. And Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he, he has to put it in words. He sees the need to address it. He says, see, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Why would he need to even say those words? Because we know that the great temptation of our life is that if we're treated bad, our tendency is to treat bad back. If evil comes our way, what our flesh rises up to do is to send evil back. You lie to me, I'll lie to you. You cheat me, I'll cheat you. You snap at me, I snap at you. Evil for evil. And, and, the, and the, there's a theme in, in the New Testament that runs through all the way back to, uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Listen to the words of Jesus. As he's speaking in Matthew chapter 5, it, the, the heading over verse 38 in my uh, copy of Scripture has the word retaliation. And we know that in our life that the great temptation of dealing with others is a temptation to retaliate. Um, verse 38 shows the rawness and realness of these words. Matthew 5, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The, the conflict for us to do good in our everyday life, whether it's in our home or in our world that we live in, is to, um, is to go the natural way. James R. Edwards is a prolific theological writer, and he writes this about evil and good. He wrote a book called The Divine Intruder, and out of it, these words are there. He says, in imaginary works... It is difficult to make virtuous characters as believable and attractive as bad characters. The villains of literature and screen, Captain Ahab, the boys who go bad and the Lord of the Flies, Darth Vader, Norman Bates, Hannibal, the cannibal, all are, as a rule, larger figures, more gripping and more memorable 
than are the heroes and heroines of even the same authors and producers. This is as true of religious literature as it is of secular literature. In Paradise Lost, Milton's Satan has all the good lines. But who remembers a word of his Christ? Dante's The Divine Comedy is one of the great masterpieces of world literature, yet literary critics as well as college freshmen rarely read the Paradiso. And those who do so usually judge its virtue and bliss flat and insipid compared to the gargoyled vices of the inferno. There's a good reason why this is so. Human nature stands closer to evil than to good. Intrigue, scheming, and deception are more instinctual to us than love, goodness, and forgiveness. It is easier to figure out ways to cheat the IRS than to solve the problems of hunger or violence. When we are wronged, we can hatch ten brilliant schemes of revenge, but try to devise even a paltry plan for redeeming a bad situation. The conflicting element of doing good is that um, evil is natural and good is supernatural. But as Christians... As Christians, we're called not to be natural. We're called to live supernatural. You might say we're called not to live normal. We're called to live abnormal. But actually in the New Testament, the normal for Christians was to live out these one another statements. That was the expected normal. I love how Vance Havner put it. He said, the church is so subnormal that if it ever got back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to people to be abnormal. There's a conflicting element to doing good. Number three, there is a continuing element to doing good. There's a continuing element to doing good. Back in verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but, ESV, what's the next word? Say it with me, participate. But what? Always, always. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. There is a continuing element to doing good, and it's captured in that one word, always. When can we repay evil for evil? When can we let up on doing good? See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good one another. Galatians 6, 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. It is a reminder to us that it may get hard, it may be tiring, it may be exhausting. We may wonder, uh, why are we doing this? And the reminder from God's word is, Be, weary, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. That phrase there, to faint not, was used to describe the work of unstringing the bow. Uh, to unstring the bow for a hunter meant that you, were, you weren't hunting, you weren't ready to hunt. You had, you had gone in, you had sat down, you were done, you were finished. He says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't unstring the bow. I mentioned those trickling streams around our house growing up. 
we lived on a piece of land that did not have a year-round creek or a year-round stream. On the back of our family property was a creek, and uh, there was a pond between us and the creek, but in uh, late June and July, 1st of August, that creek always dried up. And the streams that would feed that pond would always dry up. It was because on that land, we only had what was called wet weather springs. You heard that term before? Wet weather springs. And if it had rained in, in, in the year for, for several months, those streams would run water and feed the ponds. The creek would run water, but there would come a day where you would walk up to the creek and it would just be dry. And as a kid who loved water and streams and playing in a creek, I remember it was just depressing. It was just discouraging. I thought, this, this stinks. I mean, we got the time of the year that you can play in a stream and it's dry. There's nothing there. It, it was almost like this sense of poverty or something where you, you, we couldn't have land that had a year-round spring. Well, in our life as Christians... God does not deal with us as a wet weather spring. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. His goodness is an everyday goodness. And our continuing element of doing good, this always of doing good, flows from a God who flows to us always. And encouragement, exhortation is that there are no off days in us doing good. We are not wet weather springs Christians. It's not just when there's, uh, uh, we feel like it, that we do good. There's a fourth element. There is a commanding element to doing good. There's a commanding element to doing good. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The Greek word there, this translated seek, is the Greek word you, you would pronounce it something like this, didoko. Uh, didoko is a word that here is translated seek. It's a word that was also used at times when, it, when you weren't talking about, it was the same word used for uh, to hunt, to seek, to hunt to look for, to prowl around, to pursue. Get this, this word is, a, is, is attached to the English word that we get um, persecute from. And, and what happens when someone is persecuted? In a sense, they are hunted, they are sought out, they're looked for. There's, a, there's, a, there's an effort involved. There's a going after. And what he's showing us here about doing good as believers is that we're to go after opportunities to do good. It, it is a hunting for opportunities to do good. It is a waking up of your day and saying, Lord, here I am. Your mercies are new this morning. Let me today see, find, know of, notice opportunities to do good. It's a hunting for. I'm not an avid hunter. I 
done that a few times. I know enough about hunting to know that to hunt well, you, you have to plan for it. Uh, there's been probably a lot of frustrated hunters before that have spotted the prize buck or spotted the beautiful turkey or some piece of game that they've been looking for all their life. And the first thing they say is, man, I wish I had my bow with me today. Man, I wish I had my gun with me today. I wish I was ready today. And the picture here of us in this doing good is not getting out there in an environment and say, I wish I was able to do some good. You know what? It's as practical as uh, just being ready, like, like putting cash in your billfold. So if an opportunity comes up to do good some, to someone monetarily, you don't walk away saying, I, if I'd had some money with me, I'd been good today. Now, here's how I still got a lot of flesh left in me, all right? I know there are times where I look and, and all I got is a $100 bill. And I'm thinking, I'm going to need to get that broken up. Uh, I'm just... Y'all can get spiritual with me if you want to, but sometimes it's just thinking, I don't know if I can give the whole hundred if that comes up. I'm I'm, I'm saying in our life, it's like we talked about a few weeks ago, we have to build margin into our life. We have to build into our life this hunting for, this seeking out to to do good. And And the instruction here is for us to go looking for it. There are three ways we can act. We can be proactive, we can be reactive, or we can be inactive. And the call of Scripture is for us to be pros in doing good. We're to be proactive. We're to be looking for opportunities to do good. And I I say that just based here on obedience to Scripture. He says, but always seek, always hunt, always be on pursuit for opportunities to do good good number five there's a comprehensive element to doing good there's a comprehensive element to doing good you look at this verse and he says see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and it doesn't stop there this is the one one another where it expands and he says seek to do good to one another and to who who From the balcony, who? Everyone. Everyone. It's a comprehensive element of doing good. It's one another. It's those we know. It's those we're in relationship with. But it's also, he says, it's those that you interact with, those that you pass, maybe you pass once in your life. You're you're living from a perspective that I'm here to do good. So, those are the elements. What if those five elements came together to just blow us up as a church and unleash us on a community? A community that that experienced the life of Christ through the life of Christians. It's tragic, isn't it, how many people have the testimony 
that they've been hurt in church life or hurt by Christians. When the exhortation from Scripture is for us to be on the prowl and the hunt, always doing good. Now, our goodness toward others is, is not natural. But what it is, is the overflow of God's goodness toward us and God's goodness in us. What we see in Scripture and we experience over and over in our life is that God is good to us. And our passion for doing good toward others must flow from recognition of how good God is to us. There's no better definition of this than what the Psalm 23 writer says. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's great evidence of God's goodness. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, God's goodness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, God's goodness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, God's goodness. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, God's goodness. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, God's goodness. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, God's goodness. God's just breaking my heart with this week and I bring to you this morning... is that the goodness of the one who lives in us must overflow into the lives of others. Is Jesus living in you? The Bible says there's only one good, and that's God. And when we trust Jesus by grace through faith, the good, good God comes to live in us. And that good, good God is to overflow through us in the lives of others and it gives him glory gives them an opportunity to see and know God where this morning are you falling short in this what might God want to do in your life what God might God want to do corporately in our church imagine a community that would feel the impact of 2,000 people overflowing with the supernatural goodness of God so we sing this song this morning, search your heart and repent with me of ways that we've not hunted for opportunities to be good, ways that we've returned to evil for evil, ways that something other than God has overflowed in our life. Let's stand together right now. Let's sing this. Let's pray. Let's get our hearts right before the Lord right now.